Hey, welcome to Paper Boys. Today we have an awesome show. It's about bear hibernation and the implications that that might have for humans. The actual paper is called Hibernation Induces Widespread Transcriptional Remodeling in Metabolic Tissues of the Grizzly Bear. It is, uh, that's quite a mouthful, but essentially it's just about what genetic changes are happening in bear tissue when they go into hibernation. It was, it was hard to understand, but uh, I did my best. Yeah, this was a really interesting episode as two people who know very little about the biology, two people who know very little about biology in general, I'll say, <laughs> but uh, Charlie was kind and courageous enough to take a genetic bullet for the team. So led to some interesting discussions and of course, a couple very off topic tangents on my part, but hopefully you'll forgive me for those digressions. Yeah, we hope you enjoy the show and welcome to Paper Boys. Hello and welcome to Paper Boys, the podcast where we unravel the research papers behind the latest major headlines in science. My name is Charlie and I'm here with my trusty co-host James. James, what's going on? Happy to be here as always every single week. Good, good. It is in your apartment, so... True. You can't really, you don't have the option of not being here. No, I would be here whether I was recording or not. So, yes. you know, it's more fun to be part of the part of the yeah. show. James actually never decided to start a podcast. I just started showing up to his house with microphones. Next thing you know, there's a table with some microphones that never leave. James is feeding me M&Ms. <laughs> <laughs> Symbiotic relationship. Charlie, you're kind of like a bear just coming in for the free M&Ms. I am like a bear and maybe I should start hibernating here in your apartment. That would be strange. It would be strange and topical because today <laughs> I'm talking about bear hibernation. What? <laughs> yeah. That's, what a great lead-in. Yeah. How did you know, James? I don't know. Maybe from your notes. But tell tell me more about these bears hibernating. So this, first of all, this came in on a recommendation from at Sundance Casey on Instagram. Thank you very much for the recommendation, Sundance yes. Casey. Whose name, we're not sure if her name is Casey or Sundance. Or neither. Or neither. A true red herring. Yes, we're requesting clarification on that one. Um, but yeah, so Sundance Casey sent us this message and said she's from Alaska, which is awesome. And uh, they've been there's been a lot of conversation about this paper that just came out about genetically what is happening to bears when they hibernate. Okay. And how we can harness that to not have to deal with winter, right? So a lot of the news articles, yes. Is me, is me injecting a little of my... And make, my own ambitions. And you should, because, you know, just saying, well, today we'll be talking about the genetics of hibernation is not I'm very like, exciting. I have genes. Yes. I want to hibernate. Yes. You're, you have genes right now. You're wearing jeans. I'm wearing jeans. Um, and I have genes. But to be honest, the paper is really just like very genetic. And it was actually kind of hard to understand. A oh. lot of the news articles kind of picked up on, well, what are the implications for humans? And can this study be leveraged for other purposes? And, and we'll talk about some of that. Okay. As we go. So more, I guess in popular news, it was more focused on the application than... Yeah, the, I mean, yeah. Like the, the one article... Study of RNA folding or gene activation or whatever. Yeah. So the article that Sundance Casey sent us uh, was in the New York Times, and it's called Hibernation Works for Bears. Could it work for us too? Hmm. Okay. And fun fact, this article was written by uh, a writer named Devi Lockwood, who I rode with in high school. Really? Yeah. Dude, that's that crazy? crazy. Small yeah. world. 
Very small world. Yeah. I'm like friends with this person on Facebook. Wow. Debbie, did you send him a note? Uh, her. And no, I did not. I said, I said <laughs> them. Oh, but okay. it sounded like him. Sorry. Yeah, James, no, no pronoun assumptions here. Okay. <laughs> I did not send her a note. Maybe I should. You should. Maybe I'll get her to plug the podcast on the New York Times. So this is funny because now we've both covered papers from authors who we went to high school with. Wait, was yours uh, the news article or the journal paper? The, uh, oh, the, it was the article about pain. The journal article about pain. Nice. Wow, I forgot about that. Yes. Oh, this was, wow, this was the New York Times. This is your, your friend was writing for the New York Times. Oh, yeah. That's exciting. Well, so that's the other thing is like, I've been friends with her on Facebook and, uh, and I know that she does all this writing and I'm like, wow, like that's, that's really great for her. Like she runs a blog or, you know, she does this in her spare time or I didn't really know because I literally haven't talked to her in like over oh, 10 years. You write for the New York Times. What a fun hobby. <laughs> yeah. And I barely knew her. But then I saw this thing and I was like, whoa, maybe she like freelances. And so I Googled her and she's like a New York Times fellow. Dang. She's like on the staff that writes like opinion columns. and Wow. Way to go, Debbie. Yeah. So congrats to Debbie. Okay. Well, now I have to ask your your opinion. How was the article? It was very good. Okay. Yeah, she covered it. Um, she covered it handsomely. I guess I'll say. All right. Yeah. So the yeah. So I guess we're going to be talking about bear hibernation today. Maybe before we dive in, I'd be remiss if I didn't plug our social media. We're at Paperboys Pod on Twitter and Instagram, which is how we learned of this episode. So please send us your episode recommendations there. Yeah, we've gotten a lot of great recommendations through social media. So if something comes up and you're just curious. Feel free to shoot us the link. You don't have to write us a long message or anything like that. We just we just love to see the recommendations flow in because a lot of times there are a lot of news articles out there that we just don't catch. Yeah. The other thing, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash paperboyspod. We do a bonus episode every month. So one of those is coming out this Sunday on December 1st. And uh, James and I actually just finished recording this one. And it uh, this is actually, I know we always say this, but this is actually my favorite one that we've done so far. Yeah. This one actually, I think, tops the mouse experiment. The mouse experiment one was crazy. I That just made me feel really bad. But this one, I think, has like a lot of interesting wisdom that carries into normal everyday life. It's very relatable because you've heard of the study, the Stanford Prison Experiment, and it like manifests itself in weird ways in our lives. So it's worth a listen. <laughs> yeah, it's... You, I feel like you always, like, you say this really cool, impactful thing, and then you just totally undersell right at the end. Like, <laughs> you know, I guess check it out if you're interested. <laughs> trying to make money here, James. <laughs> no, but so the other cool thing we did with this uh, was we recorded it on video for the first time ever. Yes. So we're always saying how, like, you know, once we hit some certain Patreon goals, we will move into recording video. Um, we haven't quite hit the goal that we wanted, but we decided we're sick of waiting. So the video... We are going to uh, give access to all of our current patrons and anyone who signs up for the Patreon before the next bonus episode on January 1st can get access to videos at the, at the $3.14 tier, the Pi Dollar tier. I think moving forward in the future, it will be at the Research Collaborator tier, which is the next one up. So if you get in on the ground floor now, you can get that video. So if you're kind of on the fence, now is a great time to... Maybe check out the Patreon and, and sign up at the pie dollar level. Dip your toes in. Yeah. Give it a feel. Get some and pie. Get yourself some pie. Get yourself some pie. Get yourself some video. And, pie, you know, it is pie season. I mean, I'm just going to say that. It is pie season. It is pie season. Actually, today is Thanksgiving. It is. So to all of our American listeners, happy Thanksgiving. Yeah. Oh, we should be doing like a turkey episode. Not bears. 
Yeah, bears not really a bear would eat, animal. Bears would eat turkey if they could. Bears would eat turkey if they could. They probably do eat turkey somewhere. Somewhere. Polar turkeys. Some bear somewhere. <laughs> yeah. All right, Charlie. I'm getting ready for hibernation over here. Tell me what this paper's about. Jeez, I didn't know I was boring you so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the actual paper that all these news articles are based on, I say all, there are more news articles than just the New York Times. Actually, Popular Mechanics, the headline is just, it would be pretty cool to hibernate. Come on, Popular Mechanics. You can do better than that. Step up your freaking game. Yeah. You know? Grizzlies are hibernating out there. That's <laughs> yeah. That's all you can say. Yeah. Uh, Biotechniques.com says, Genetic changes behind hibernation in bears revealed, which I think is the most accurate summation of this paper that I saw in the media. Okay. So no humans were like implanted with bear organs to see how that would affect their hibernation? <laughs> um, no. I'm imagining some pretty weird sci-fi shit going on here. Yeah. No, that didn't happen. <laughs> Dang. Sorry, okay. James. No. So the actual journal paper... The title is Hibernation Induces Widespread Transcriptional Remodeling in Metabolic Tissues of the Grizzly Bear. I was very wrong. I was very wrong with my About human organs? <laughs> yeah, no, no I human mean, organs involved. For example, right? But, okay, the title is way off from what I was expecting, but mm -hmm. could you break it down for us a little? Yeah, so transcriptional remodeling in metabolic tissues of the grizzly bear, it's like, I... So disclaimer up front, I'm not a geneticist, I'm not a biologist, I'm, I'm but a mere plasma physicist, so so I'll, I'm trying to do Charlie, my best. this isn't paper. rocket science. But, but, you know, so I'm doing my best here, but this was a hard paper to understand. But so I think transcriptional remodeling in metabolic tissues is in reference to, they actually sequenced the RNA of different cells of the grizzly bear. So they were taking tissues from like the liver and from the fat and from muscle and comparing the actual RNA, like the genes of the RNA in each of those different tissues. Interesting. And transcriptional remodeling, I think, is like how the genes actually ch are changing and like activating and deactivating. And Wow. So if I understood this correctly, I mean, I had skimmed through the paper earlier on, but the uh, news article, the New York Times. So it sounds like the different points between hibernating and not hibernating, there are actually like genetic triggers that are happening or yeah. uh, genetic yeah. changes in uh, which genes are turned on and off. Yeah. I think they call it like differential expression. Okay. Wow. Yeah. But no, you're totally right. Like bears have this annual cycle essentially where there's kind of an active period. I think that's sort of like during the summer months and then there is hyperphagia. Which is sort of like the transition from active to hibernation. So at, during this time, they're eating a lot and they're generating a lot of fat. And then obviously hibernation, which wow. is, I think we all know what that is. Bears and, and plenty of other mammals, um, they like literally go to sleep and do nothing for like four months. Wow. But uh, did you learn any more details about like physiologically what's happening during hibernation? Because it seems like an actually pretty fascinating phenomena. I mean... They're sleeping for like four months, right? Yeah. And like they don't go to the bathroom. They, I mean, they don't eat. They're just burning off this blubber. They don't even, so they actually brought up like an important distinction in other animals. Like I think there's like certain squirrels that hibernate and other like rodents that will hibernate. And they have this ability to sort of wake up during. And so sometimes they'll wake up and kind of do something and then they'll go back to sleep. But bears don't even do that. 
They're just out. Yeah, they're just totally out. And so this paper is entirely about, is there something genetically that they can correlate to these different phases, this active hyperphagia and hibernation? Okay, cool. That, that makes like, sense. correlates to the physiological phenomena that are observed. Side note, can you imagine how horrifying that would be to like stumble into a cave and like find a bear family hibernating? I mean, better hibernating than a wave. <laughs> I was about to say it's way less horrifying than if you stumbled in the middle of July, but... <laughs> True. But still. Yes. Horrifying. That would be horrifying. All right. Well, Charlie, what were their methods for studying this? So, this uh, is this is like actually fascinating to me because, I mean, I've taken biology and they like talked about how you look at genes in the class, but this was longer ago than I'd care to mention. <laughs> and... I haven't, and like at this point in my life, I honestly, I don't even know how you would look at this. So, the, uh, honestly, I don't think that you could really do this in the wild. Okay. And this group, which I, I kind of forgot to mention who the paper's by, but it's this group at Washington State University, and they run a facility called the Washington State University Bear Research Education and Conservation Center, which is in Pullman, Washington. And I think they have something like 11 captive grizzly bears there. Wow. Uh, yeah, and these are all bears who have been either like taken from the wild because they were problem bears um, or they were raised in captivity. Uh, I wouldn't go to school, dropped out of high school. Yeah, exactly. It's like bear prison. Bear prison. Because, so, okay. you know, so half of them are going to become prisoners and half of them are going to become guards. <laughs> like Start punishing experiment. each other. It's too real, man. It's too too deeply ingrained in us. It is too real, yeah. Um, well, Check so out the 11- Patreon if you're interested in what we mean. <laughs> Yeah, there's a mid-roll ad for you. (laughs) So these, okay, captive bears are what they're studying. Yeah, and I think they studied six of the bears. Um, They have like very tightly controlled diets. Mm -hmm. And here's a fun fact that I learned. They feed bears dog food. Hey. Yeah, who would have thought? Bears aren't dogs. They're just like big dogs. (laughs) They kind of are like big dogs. Fun fact. What episode would this be if I didn't add in some tangential reference? (laughs) If you're ever stuck... And like you can't eat anything except dog food. Try to expand out your diet a little bit because dog food apparently doesn't have vitamin C. Wait, what are you talking about? You can get scurvy if you're a human and you eat dog food because dogs don't need vitamin C. So it's not in dog food. Who is I'm just, that advice just, for? You know, it's one of those things where like 10 years from now, someone's going to be like, I listened to your bear episode and there I was stuck with only dog food for a month. but. I made sure I found, I don't know. This is what I'm imagining. We it's need, good information. We need video for the regular episode because I need people to see that I am not on board with this advice <laughs> at all. I, I'm this like is from, mouth right. agape. This is from a case study that was brought up in a biology class where uh, a homeless man had been eating dog food for weeks and he came down with a case of scurvy. And so they brought it up because dog food doesn't have vitamin C. Anyhow, maybe bears don't need vitamin C. Just trying well, to make a connection. So they also feed them fruit and meat and fish. Okay. So they're... But they also feed them dog food. But so. the... Okay. So it's not... A... All right. I'm less worried. I was mostly concerned about the bears. Yeah. Well, Getting scurvy. Uh, thanks for that highly relevant tangent, James. Hey, good to know. <laughs> the more you know, right? Yeah. Uh, so they feed these bears. They tightly control the diet and uh, then they stop feeding them. They like slow it down in October and then they totally stop feeding them in November. And then the bears just naturally like... They're like, oh, the food stopped. Time to sleep. Wow. And they hibernate. I mean, it's, you know, it's natural for them. 
So you could stop them from hibernating if you kept feeding them. So that, I don't know. I didn't really look into that, but it had me kind of wondering that. Like, if you just kept giving them food, do you think that they would not hibernate? Or do you think that that's like, it's a very primal urge and they would do it no matter what? This is why we need a friend named Brianna who studies bears. Go. (laughs) Let's bring in Brianna, the bear expert now, to answer this question. Brianna. (laughs) This is a new new segment that James has been pitching to me all day. Bill the biologist. Bill the biologist. <laughs> well, you know. Vivian the veterinarian. Yeah. One of these days, we'll do a, a paper where our name comes in handy. Charlie the chocolatier. <laughs> yes. Charlie, uh, how do they make the so cream? So with the bears that are hibernating, or actually not even when they're hibernating, they have these six bears that they're studying, and they act, and then they collect samples from them like three times throughout the year. Okay. So one is taken in May, which is during the active period when they're like out and about. One is during September, which is hyperphagia. It's kind of their transitional phase. And the other sample is taken in January when they're actually hibernating. And the sample is like, I think they take like a giant needle or or like a scalpel and they are actually cutting out muscle, liver, and adipose tissue, which is just fat. Okay. Rough. Yeah. But so then once they cut the things out, they flash freeze them with liquid nitrogen. They put them in a freezer and then they, you know, store them for later processing. Okay. The processing, I did not understand at all. It was like, we used this particular machine with this particular process using the protocol developed by this scientist, you know, by Brianna the bear expert. Thanks, (laughs) Bree. Okay. So, I mean, basically there is a method to look at if you extract cells and pull out the RNA. You can figure out what genes are activated. Yeah. And it's this whole kind of like down selection process of like, okay, well, we we sequenced it and then we put together all the codes to be this and yada, yada, yada. Ultimately, they end up with 26,266 sequenced genes that met the quality standards they were looking for for this study. So that's their data set that they're now working with. And so it's called differential expression, right? The turning on and off. Uh. Oh, it is called differential expression. My understanding is that it is, yes, like the the on and off of different genes. Okay. Or like upregulation and downregulation, which I think maybe a biologist would understand that better. But okay. I think in simple terms, yeah, it's like a turn on and off kind of thing. So, yeah, that's what they were looking for with these genes is like, well, now we have 26,000 genes. Uh, let's compare how each one of them behaves in each of these three things, in each of these three um, phases of the year for the bear. Okay. So what did they find looking at all 26,000 of these genes? So it was actually really significant um, when they compared the hibernating and non-hibernating states. And I forget whether they considered the transitional one. I think they considered the transitional one a non-hibernation state. So when you compare them, they found that there were 10,000 genes that are differentially expressed in one or more of the tissues. Wow. So like almost half of all the genes they sequenced are changing throughout this hibernation process. So, geez, okay, that's crazy. Yeah, I know that that maybe there's like no reference point for that, so it maybe doesn't sound as crazy. But like, as a reference, they found that with like captive dwarf lemurs and elephant seal pups, there were fewer than 100 differentially expressed genes between physiological states that are like analogous to hibernation. Okay, so 100 differentially expressed genes and in other mammals and 10,000 in bears. All right, so it's a huge difference. Yeah, and then that's from like a similar data set of genes. Okay. Wow. 
So that right there already says like, whoa, there's a big thing going on genetically for bears when they hibernate. I mean, I guess that doesn't surprise me too much, given the fact of like a lot's changing. I mean, and also I think you and I are fortunate to be alive in this era where we know that genes aren't static, because I think that was like was a long held stance for a while since the discovery of like genetics and the genome, like you're born with the genes that you have and they never change. Yeah. But it seems like there are a lot of environmental factors that change them. What's that called again? That study? The Human Genome Project? No, like how external factors affect your genetics. Oh, I don't know. I wish that I did because then I could think of a good first name for our expert in that field. There are a lot of pages on the environmental influences on gene expression. (laughs) Uh, I feel like there is a specific scientific name for this because it's a thing, but... Yeah, I mean, you pass on traits to your children, like from you and your partner's genes, but then you can actually pass on traits that are influenced just by like your surrounding environment. So I remember reading a study about uh, famines that occurred, especially mm-hmm. in World War II due to war, like this passed on a certain gene to these people's children. Oh, so someone who lives through a famine, it affects their genes and then those affected genes get passed down. Yes. That is wild. Yep. Epigenetics? Is that the name? No, epigenetics is... Isn't that like the racist form of genetics? Maybe. Wait, no, 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 never mind. <laughs> We've got Adolf the epigeneticist here to answer our <laughs> questions. Oh, God. No, you're right. You're right. Epigenetics is the study of heritable phenotype changes that do not involve alterations in the DNA sequence. Perfect. All okay. Right. All right. That was actually a relevant tangent. Thank you, James. You're welcome. <laughs> um, They're hit or miss. Yeah. So... They have these differentially expressed genes. So I mentioned that they took tissue from the muscle, liver, and fat of the bear. Would you hazard a guess for which one of these has the most changing genes? The muscle, the liver, and fat. Yeah. So, all right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, gonna, I'm gonna to do this just like... Walk uh, me through it. Show yeah, your work. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Muscle's interesting because, you know, it's like the, the same problem humans experience with spaceflight. If you don't move around a lot, you experience muscle atrophy. So I can imagine muscle changing. Bears do experience atrophy. They do? Yeah. Okay. But something must happen to help preserve some of it. Yes. Which I'll get into later. Ooh, okay. It does. Genetically changes to preserve muscle. Sweet. Okay. Fat? I mean, that seems like it's a big difference because they're putting on a lot of fat in preparation. And so, like, that's changed. The liver processes fat. I'm going to have to go with liver on this one, Charlie. Liver? Is that your final answer? Liver. Final answer. It was fat. Dang it. Sorry, we're going to have to send you home, James. I guess the Um, liver function just continues doing what it's doing for the most part. I mean, I think there were changes in the liver, but it says the fat has the highest percentage of differentially expressed genes with 20% of all genes in the adipose tissue being changed. Wow. Okay. That's That's a lot. Significant. I should have... I should have asked a clarifying question. Are we talking brown fat or white <laughs> fat? Uh, no, the, the bears aren't drinking any coffee. No brown fat involved here. So, Dang. Subtle reference to a past episode. Yeah, callback right there. Uh, so they found some pretty interesting, like, I guess, kind of implications when they like looked at these the differential expression of these genes. So one is that the gene expression during hyperphagia, the transition period, is tissue specific so this kind of goes to like the question that i just asked you of which tissue do you think would be affected the most during hyperphagia 984 genes 
of the fat tissue are differentially expressed, whereas only three genes for the liver and zero genes for the muscle are differentially expressed. Really? Yeah. So like during the transition, literally nothing is changing in muscle and liver. Everything is changing in the in the body fat. Wow. Which is, I guess, you know, when you sort of walk through it, it makes sense. But it's just surprising that if there's all this change going on, that it's so specific to the fat tissue. Yeah. What surprises me is that it's the fat itself that's changing and not yeah. something else like upstream. Yeah. That like, like the, creates the fat or stores the fat or whatever. Yeah. Like I thought in my mind, I thought that fat would be the result of a change. Yeah. And for me, it was, I was also kind of thinking like, oh, I wouldn't have thought of like fat as even really being tissue that's like part of the body. Like a genetically rich thing to look at. Yeah. But it huh. does have genes and it is like it's, you know, replicates and it's cells. <laughs> yeah. Weird. And, that's cool. Yeah. Our dermatologist the, friends are cringing. Uh, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure my my wife is even cringing. And, <laughs> you know. So it happens when you get non-biologists reading these papers. Yeah. So the other thing that they found that was kind of a cool implication is that these results kind of agreed with a study that was done with black bears, where basically they found like very similar changes in gene expression for black bears as for grizzly bears. Hmm. So it kind of suggests like this common evolutionary mechanism. You might call it the bear necessities. <sighs> you might. <laughs> oh, it was... That was just burning inside of me. <laughs> How long have you been waiting to say that? I mean, only like five to 10 to 15 seconds. But <laughs> Okay, well, moving on. Uh... <laughs> but actually. Yes, no, you're actually right. Uh, it is the bare necessities. So now they kind of dive into a lot more of like a technical exploration of what is really going on here. Mm -hmm. So we've observed, so we've said, yes, we've sequenced the RNA genes. We've observed that they are changing and that it's specific to one tissue versus another, depending on when in the year it is. Mm -hmm. But like what I still didn't really understand at this point was, well, how does like changing genes actually affect the physiological behavior that's going on for hibernation to happen? And uh, yeah. the paper unfortunately answered my question in a very technical way. Okay. And it's just like several pages of like very, <laughs> like very technical jargon on chemical processes and i don't know how cells process glucose this is like a well charlie i'm so glad you asked <laughs> here's yeah. seven pages for it i regret asking um can but you... so i can give you maybe like a breakdown of a couple of the ones that i sort of understood yeah let's hear it so one interesting one i mentioned kind of glucose processing um they said when bears are hibernating this process of gluconeogenesis increases like substantially or that's kind of the hypothesis is that it, it should increase substantially, which mm -hmm. is basically just glucose production within the body. And uh, and so what they found in this gene study is that the expression of this gene called PFKB1, which controls whether you're doing gluconeogenesis or glycolysis, which is, I think, the breakdown of glucose, uh, is increased. So like that gene pushes you towards glucose production. The other thing that has to do with the whole glucose thing is... Um, so I guess insulin is what like allows for glucose to be taken in by tissue. Uh-huh. Again, I'm sure that our biologists are like cringing at any, everything I'm saying here, but so insulin has like a is kind of a key player in this whole hibernation thing. 
And they've already observed that bears exhibit these annual periods of insulin resistance. Mm -hmm. And what they found with the genes is that during hibernation, these specific genes were downregulated that, th that then lead to a reduction in glucose uptake, like through the steps that you kind of understand at a very like cellular molecular level, like these genes being downregulated is the reason why bears have an insulin resistance during hibernation. Oh, okay. Sorry, that was like such a horrible explanation, but they've observed this thing, insulin resistance during hibernation. And I think it makes sense why they would have that, but they didn't know why they had it. The mechanism underneath it. The mechanism underneath. And so they found that genetically there are these genes being downregulated that would control the uptake of glucose by insulin. And so they found cool. that it's basically just in their genes that this happens. Wow. I mean, I think that's really cool. I think if you were really into genetics and especially like animal genetics, that's probably like even more impactful and you could really appreciate the like nuance of that discovery. But it's that's cool. Yeah, it was and I As felt kind of bad. I appreciate because, yeah, like I was reading this, you know, it's like a 10 page paper and there are some sections where there's like a, a long paragraph that I'm really not understanding and I kind of skip it. And then other sections where I'm reading a paragraph and I'm having a hard time understanding, but I'm getting enough to be really excited and be like, whoa, that's cool. And then I felt bad, like, wow, that whole section that I just skipped is probably so exciting to someone else mm -hmm. who knows about this. And I'm just like, not, I can't, I don't even have the tools to give it the light of day. Yeah. So the insulin resistance thing is pretty interesting because they said that in humans, they've already identified a lot of genes that are associated with insulin resistance. So like, I mean, this is obviously huge implications for diabetes. And they said there are 16 human genes that have been shown to be clinically responsive to treatment. Really? Of those 16 genes, 14 of them were differentially expressed in bears between hibernating and non-hibernating. Really? Yeah. So, wow, I mean, this does actually, if for only that reason alone, and I imagine there are probably others too, like there are a lot of lessons we can, at least interesting findings that we can use as a starter for some human experiments or studies. Yeah, yeah for sure. I mean, wow. right there you've got like, I mean, that was probably really exciting for the authors. That's a PhD for someone else. Yeah, you know, you know like probably. reading, like looking at this and going like, wait a second, I recognize those genes. That's that's like the human insulin genes. And they say, whoa, these are changing between hibernating and not hibernating. All right. There's another James tangent. Okay. But it's relevant. Isn't it going to be exciting doing paper boys? Like, you know, we're still doing it in a couple of years. And we're like, this is a follow-on study to that paper we did four years ago. Yeah. Actually, part of the reason that I was interested in this bear hibernation thing is that there was a study or there was an article that I read about putting humans in suspended animation. Uh-huh. And it has to do with like during trauma surgery, people get stabbed or something. They they lost a lot of blood. You can actually lower their temperature to like insanely low, you know, 50 degrees Fahrenheit or something. Uh-huh. Do the surgery and then bring them back up and it has like a way it's theorized to have a way higher survival rate. Wow. So I was all excited cuz I saw these news articles and I clicked through and it's not actually a paper yet. It's like a proposed study that is currently underway oh with results expected to publish in 2020 and i was like yes i can't wait we get to do this next year as a follow-on to this bear hibernation thing sweet yeah anyway oh it's exciting exciting prospects another relevant tangent you're two for three james <laughs> <laughs> i had to get above 50 percent. <laughs> yeah so what other implications did this have for humans potentially i'm curious because the title of the new york times article seemed like you know this study was the path towards us achieving 
hibernation or like suspended animation, which so, are different things, I realize. But. Yeah, so the uh, conclusion of the paper, I, I, I'll just read this quote. It says, quote, this information could have direct implications for the treatment of metabolic diseases, discovery of potentially novel mediators of metabolic homeostasis, and treatment of a variety of muscle-wasting pathologies. So that third one is one I didn't get to yet. But so another one of these kind of physiological effects that you mentioned about like muscle atrophy during mm-hmm. hibernation, what they find is that when bears are hibernating, they lose way less muscle than would be expected for a human to lose over a similar amount of time. Mm-hmm. And so they were wondering, well, how, how could that be? And what they found is that there were actually these important genes being downregulated that had to do with the uh, autophagy lysosome and ubiquitin proteasome pathways. Again, whatever whatever that means. But these are things that are associated with like muscle atrophy and protein synthesis. So they actually found that these genes were being changed to increase protein synthesis while the bears are hibernating. Hmm. So if there's a gene that controls that and there are humans who have these muscle, muscle wasting pathologies, you know, think of like spinal mu- muscular atrophy or something like that. Yeah. Maybe, maybe there could be a genetic treatment that could be discovered as a result of a study like this. Wow. Wouldn't it be so cool if we came up with genetic treatments for like deep space travel? So the New York Times article mentions that. I have to I have to go to space. I mean like yeah. the topic of space. No, but the uh, the first author on this article, Dr. Jansen, specifically says when talking about, you know, could you induce hibernation for humans during interplanetary travel? Uh, Dr. Jansen says, quote, we're a long way from that. But we know we can manipulate the energetic profiles of a cell in cell cultures. But so, I mean, okay. he kind of specifically calls out, like, we're not talking about, you know, interstellar style people <laughs> being frozen and waking up and not knowing why they're there. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. But, you know, we in like for space engineering, they talk about the technology readiness level, the TRL. And it's like if you're doing a lab experiment, it's like TRL three. There's TRL one through nine. Nine means it's already flown in space. They won't even consider putting it on a spacecraft if it's not already TRL 6 or 7, like to where it's been flown in a relevant environment mm-hmm. on a less uh, risky mission. I feel like with biology, there's probably like 18 levels. Oh, yeah. I'm and sure. It's just like, it's a whole nother. Yeah. I can't, I don't even know how you would like start to implement that for humans. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, we're, uh, we're only still like learning what the effect of space on humans is. Actually... Uh, my dad sent me an article as an episode recommendation that we might do mm-hmm. where they'd recently just discovered that a bunch of the astronauts on board the space station are having like blood clotting, really, which they have never observed before. Wow. And they were all, all of them were healthy before they went. And then when they were up in space, they had blood clotting. So Dang. it's like, uh, yeah, that's so alarming. We, as Dr. Jansen said, we're nowhere near the ability of like, oh, let's put humans in hibernation, send them off into space, shoot them off, you know, like a friggin' bullet. Sorry, Michael McConaughey. Over. Yeah. But so, I mean, you're kind of getting at like, what are the what are the real world applications of these types of studies? There is one something really interesting that was mentioned in the New York Times article. This guy, Dr. Andrews, who did a similar study on hibernating squirrels. Mm -hmm. And what he discovered is that squirrels use melatonin to protect cells when um, blood flow increases after they've been hibernating. Huh. And he sort of realized that that's the same thing that happens to a patient who has undergone hemorrhagic shock. So I think specifically at the time, like the problem he was trying to solve was soldiers in Iraq who had been 
injured by like roadside bombs usually die be- from blood loss because they can't get to they can't get to treatment quick enough. Mm-hmm. And so if they're losing a lot of blood and then they get to treatment, then it it's really damaging to the body when you start when you bring the blood flow bla- back. And so he came up with this like cocktail of melatonin and some other things that was basically what squirrels hibernating squirrels had in their body to give to to people who are undergoing hemorrhagic shock hmm. and i don't know if it's been used on humans yet but it's like that i mean that's really cool like that's a really cool application <laughs> from like squirrels how would you ever think of like hibernation to yeah like battlefield you know that's amazing i mean i just i'm like sort of speechless when i hear things like that because i'm like i don't know i mean i you know we deal with a lot of technology for our research but like at a biological level it's a whole another whole another level of understanding and so to take that from animal to human is amazing yeah i mean you say that but you're you're also working on like a biological device like you're implanting chips into brains i mean measuring electrical signals in the body but i mean like that it could be an electrical signal in the body it could be any other voltage i appreciate i appreciate what you're saying but i'm saying don't sell yourself short thanks charlie yeah i mean the other like another application mentioned is like with organ donation you know big problem is that once an organ is like harvested, it you only have like hours before it can be transplanted to another body. Uh huh. Yeah, it's it goes bad. Well. Like you can't have like a bank where you keep them, re- like waiting to be donated. But so if we figured out like, well, can we make some genetic changes, or or is there some process that's happening during hibernation that's able to keep these tissues like alive without really external inputs? Then maybe we could start saving tissues for longer and like save literally probably thousands of lives. I'd be really interested to see if they could do, you know, I have no idea what the timescales are. Maybe like someone who knows about this would be like, oh, by the time someone's dead, like there's no way you could implement a change like this to uh, like preserve an organ or something. But I'm thinking back to the pig head episode. Yeah. Where they basically, they, I mean, they had a severed pig head like from the slaughterhouse and they managed to keep tissue alive for much longer period than expected. And that was like a pretty crazy contraption. So imagine like, you know, maybe you just, oh, it's like, oh, throw it in the genetic solution. Yeah. And you're like, it'll stay alive for weeks or I don't know until you can get it to a a safe storage. It's very possible. Really cool. Yeah. I mean, I probably didn't really do the paper itself justice, but part of the reason I kind of wanted to talk about this was for all the kind of fringe applications and sort of relevant things that are in the news recently. Well, Um, hearing you dive into it too, I mean... That wasn't at all the take that I got by looking at the headline. No. Or and just a cursory glance at the paper itself. Which is why it sort of surprised me with how difficult to understand it was. The news article, I meant. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, because the news was really a lot about, like, could humans hibernate too one day? Mm -hmm. But the paper's not, the paper doesn't discuss that at all. It's very (laughs) genetic-y. Is that the right word? Really, that's the correct term. (laughs) Um... (laughs) Well, thanks, Ben. Thanks for thanks for taking a genetic bullet for the team. <laughs> genetic bullet. Yeah. Uh, and thanks to Sundance Casey on Instagram for recommending it. Thank you, Sundance Casey. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, as we mentioned always, please do check us out on social media. This episode came from a recommendation from a faithful listener. So we really appreciate that. We love getting news, comments, questions, recommendations, any sort of interaction. Uh, it's great. <laughs> you make us sound so desperate. No, it's fun. It's yeah. fun. But truthfully, it's... I am kind of desperate. So, <laughs> Help Charlie out. Yeah. Uh, give me a distraction from my research. Paperboy's pod is our handle. 
Also, check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash paperboyspod. We have bonus episodes every month on exciting topics that uh, aren't just pertinent to the actual news that's going on. We go into old papers um, from historic science, as well as some more fanciful ones like rat colonies yeah. designed or, to be utopia. I mean, this month, coming out in just a couple of days now, is going to be the Stanford Prison Experiment. Yeah. Which most people have heard of. And if you haven't, then, um, well, for the low, low price of pi dollars a month, you can learn all about it. I'm excited about it. I thought it was a, it was a really fun episode to dive into. And I think that was there's a lot to learn episode, too. Yeah. Like, we just had a great flow, you know. We had the video going. Yeah. So you can see our beautiful faces. Um, yeah. And like I said at the beginning, here's my, you know, super like car salesman pitch here. So now we're doing videos of the bonus episodes, which we're really excited about. And we are going to give those, give that to everyone who's already a patron, no matter what tier they're at. And uh, if you sign up before January 1st, you'll get grandfathered in, even if you're doing pie dollars a month. And you'll get those videos in perpetuity. I think starting January 1st, the videos will be at the research collaborator tier, which is our second tier. Um, but as a kind of a thank you and maybe a little incentive if you're on the fence about the Patreon right now, we're going to do it at Pi Dollars. So so please check that out. Yeah. Patreon.com slash paperboyspod. And of course, please join us next week for another exciting edition of Paperboys. Thanks for listening.